Good morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Today we'll be in the third chapter, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, as we come to the last in a series of seven letters or messages from the Lord Jesus to seven of his churches, and these churches you know, existed about 2,000 years ago, um, but this isn't just a history lesson because of something Jesus makes very clear, that each one of these messages is intended for anyone who has ears to hear, anyone who will listen, anyone who will pay attention. So what he says to each of these churches, he is saying to all of his churches, to all of his people, um, wherever they are, whenever they're living, and uh, invites us all to hear. So we want to do that. We want to hear now what the Spirit says to the churches. So Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning or the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So things are not good at Laodicea, and what's worse is they don't seem to realize it. They seem completely unaware. They seem to think that everything is just fine. I, I think that just goes to remind us, to show us that what, what people think about things and what God thinks about things are often very different. It, it really shouldn't surprise us as we read through God's Word that we run into things that you know, kind of go against what we maybe have naturally believed or what our culture is into or whatever because God's thoughts are often not our thoughts and that's why we need to pay attention to him that's why we need to listen to him uh, if we don't listen to what he's telling us if we don't have ears to hear uh, we are in danger of being seriously deluded of, of thinking things that just are not true and that was happening here in Laodicea 
they were thinking things about themselves that weren't true. What's, what's wrong with them? What's their problem? Well, Jesus describes them as lukewarm. Now, I want to spend a few minutes thinking with you about this because it's very possible that what you think lukewarm means is really not what it means. Um, because uh, this is a common thing. People, when they hear lukewarm, they think one thing, and that's not really necessarily what Jesus is talking about here. What he's doing is he's describing a common human experience, which is that we don't like lukewarm drinks. That's the picture, lukewarm drink. So you go to Starbucks, and you look at the menu, and what do they have? They have hot drinks, and they have cold drinks, you don't see anything on the menu for a lukewarm drink. Because lukewarm is gross in a drink. This happens to me all the time. I, I go in the kitchen here, uh, you know, because I'm working in my office, so I think, ah, I want a cup of tea. So I go and I brew a cup of tea, it's nice and hot, leave it on my desk and forget about it, and, you know, do my study or whatever, and remember it like a half an hour later. Oh, yeah, I made tea, take a sip. Gross lukewarm, okay? So it's gross in a drink, and it's gross in a church. That's what Jesus is talking about. See, very often we assume, well, lukewarm is the problem. That's, that's describing the problem. No, it's, it's describing the result of the problem, and the result is that they're gross to Jesus. Think about that. That's what he's saying. He wants them to be cold or hot, like you want a drink to be cold or hot, but they're not. Now, very often, what, what we assume here is that when he says hot, he means, man, on fire for Jesus. You know, totally committed, totally sold out, totally all in. Cold, what would that mean? Well, totally opposed to Jesus, totally against him. And he's saying, I'd rather have you hot or cold than be lukewarm. And that's not what it means. Okay, because... Both hot and cold are describing good drinks, uh, enjoyable drinks, delightful drinks. Uh, hot is a drink that's soothing. Cold is a drink that's refreshing. Lukewarm is a, dis is a drink that is disgusting. Okay? So Jesus is not saying... You know, I'd rather have you hate me. I'd rather have you be a, a hardcore atheist than be a wishy-washy Christian. Sort of half committed, you know, uh, kind of on the fence. That's not the point. That's not the point. He is saying, I wish you were like a good drink I enjoyed rather than like a yucky drink that I feel like spitting out. Now, the question we have to ask is, why then is Jesus describing them this way? Why are they disgusting to him? And the answer is not half-hearted commitment. And we don't have to guess because Jesus spells it out in verse 17. This is why they're lukewarm. This is why they are gross. Notice how verse 17 begins with the word for or because. Now, you might have a Bible that doesn't have for or because at the beginning of verse 17. If you don't, you should write it in because it's there in the original, and it explains why these people were disgusting to Jesus. And what's the answer? He says, for I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, for, or because, 
you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. It's what they believe about themselves that's making them gross to Jesus. That's what's disgusting him. It's what they think. It's what they believe about themselves. It's this attitude they have. And what is it? What is this attitude? It's called self-sufficiency. It's the arrogant belief that you don't need help from anybody. That you can do life all by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Now what's, what's kind of interesting here is that we have a historical note about the town of Laodicea from a, a Roman historian named Tacitus. In A.D. 60, so this is like 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the town of Laodicea and the surrounding villages experienced major devastation by an earthquake in AD 60. But Laodicea, unlike the other towns in the region, they rebuilt their city without any help from the Roman government. And so Tacitus says this about them, quote, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources and with no help from us. That is, no help from the Roman government. See, you kind of get the flavor here of the town of Laodicea. We don't need help from anybody. Okay, we got a problem? We'll handle it. We don't need the government to come in and help us. Okay, well, that's great. That's a good attitude to have maybe toward the government. But if you carry that attitude over toward God, it's not great. It's gross. Because there is only one person in this universe that needs nothing from God, and that's God. So to say, I don't need anything from God or anybody else, that's basically to claim to be God, to be God-like. Now, only God needs nothing from God. The rest of us need everything from God everything whether we realize it or not and we might go through our days and not really realize it but the fact is everything we need god is the one who provides it Acts 17 25 look at this god himself gives to all mankind that includes everybody in the room all mankind what life and breath and everything it's, it's kind of amusing to me. It's like Paul's giving a speech here in Athens, and he starts out, God gives us life, God gives us breath, and he says, well, this is going to take too long if I list everything we need. So, uh, everything. Think about it. Do you need life? I mean, if you don't have life, you're dead. So, do you need life? Yes. Well, you get it from God. Do you need breath? Maybe we've been thinking about breath more lately because of the smoke in the air. Do you need breath? You, then you need God. Do you need anything else? <laughs> yes. So you need God. You need God all the time. 
for everything you need. Uh, just for a focal point, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did he do that? Why did he come into the world to save sinners? Because sinners need saving, and sinners can't save themselves. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all, and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We all need saving. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners because we can't save ourselves. So see, everybody, everybody in this room, everybody in this community, everybody in this world needs Jesus Christ. Let's not have any confusion about that. You know, maybe you've got friends or or neighbors or whatever, and they look like they've got it all together. They don't have Jesus, but it looks like they've got everything they need. No. They need Jesus. We all do. In fact, the only way to live, the only way to really live as far as God is concerned, is to live by faith in Jesus. That is, knowing Him, relying on Him, depending on Him. Because He provides us everything we need, whether we acknowledge it, or admit it or not. Now, so we've got these people in Laodicea, these professing believers in Jesus, and what are they doing? They're thinking and living as if they don't need him. Well, that's weird. What kind of Christian would live like that? What kind of Christian would just, you know, go through life not really thinking about, not really living as if they need... Christ, as if they need God? And the answer is, rich Christians do that. They had money. So what do they need to depend on Jesus for? This is why Jesus over and over says, it's hard to be rich and enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Think about that. Then for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, fortunately, the disciples say, well, who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, with God, all things are possible. But the point is, it's really hard for rich people to put their trust in God because they've got so much. And they don't think they need him. Or they don't acknowledge it. They don't don't live like they need him. And so these people, you know, they've got nice houses. They've got good jobs, nice clothes, plenty of food, money in the bank good health insurance, good pension plan. They were set. Who needs Jesus on a daily practical basis when you've got all that? Now, they probably wouldn't have said it. You know, if you got up and say, hey, do you, uh, you know, you, you need Jesus, right? You need to depend on him. They would say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So they wouldn't have said they didn't need him, but that's how they lived. They lived as if they didn't. And Jesus says, that makes me sick. I want to spit you out of my mouth. How terrifying is that to hear from the ultimate judge of heaven and earth? And you know what is really scary to me about this? This is what is scary to me about this. You and I live in a culture just like Laodicea. We do. We have so much. Most of us are rich 
by world standards. Now, you might not feel rich, but if you've got a decent home, if you've got food and clothing, if you have more than you need, and you can go, you know, buy ice cream or, you know, go to a movie or then by world standards, you're rich. I know I am. I have more than I need. Much more than I need. And that means that you and I could end up just like the church in Laodicea. Because they knew the truth. They knew who Jesus was. They professed belief in Him. And they got to the point in their self-sufficiency delusion that Jesus says, you make me sick. How do we not do that? How do we not end up that way? Well, the answer is pretty straightforward. You and I need to live every day, every day as if, live every day as if you really need Jesus because you really do. You really do. That's Jesus' prescription for the sickness of self-sufficiency syndrome. Okay? We just have to, we have to choose and remember to live every day as if we really need it, moment by moment. Now, he tells us that, I, and so there's probably a lot that could be said on this topic, but I want to just look at the things Jesus says and see how to live that way from, from what he tells us here. So, To live as if you really need Jesus, you need to accept everything he says about you. You need to listen to what he says about you. You need to accept it. You need to believe it. You need to take it seriously. Accept everything he says about you. Because, see, he knows what you need. He knows what your problem is. I think most people realize, you know, they have a problem. You probably know you have a problem. Your friends and family all know you have a problem. (laughs) People might even ask you at times, what's your problem? (laughs) Well, who knows? Who can accurately diagnose your problem? Jesus. Look at verse 14. The words of the amen. That means the truth. Jesus described himself as the way, the truth, and the life. The word amen here in this context means the truth. The faithful and true witness. So when Jesus bears witness, when he gives testimony about you and me, he always tells us the truth. He's always right. Now check out his diagnosis of the Laodiceans. (laughs) For you say... I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Whoa! You talk about deluded. What they believed about themselves was the exact opposite of reality. They say, hey, I'm rich. Jesus says, no, you're not. No, you're actually quite poor. Oh, I've prospered. No, actually, you're wretched. I need nothing. No, you need a lot of things because you're, you're pitiable, pitiful. You're, you're blind, you're naked. You need lots of things. Totally deluded. It, it, it just totally reminds me of the story of the emperor's new clothes, right? These con artists convince the emperor 
that, you know, only people who are sophisticated and have excellent taste can see these beautiful garments we're making for you. And he doesn't want to say, well, I'm not sophisticated. So he says, oh, yeah, I see it. And they dress him up in this and convince him to walk through town in his birthday suit. And everybody's going along with it till some kid goes, uh, the emperor's naked? That's what Jesus is doing for these people. What they thought about themselves wasn't real. That's what happens to us when we don't listen to God. That's what happens. We think things about ourselves that aren't true. And let me just real quick here give a plug for the Heart Change Workshop if you've never been through it. We offer that here periodically. One of the key focal points of the Heart Change Workshop is to help you see yourself the way God sees you, to see the truth, what he really thinks of you. And it, it's amazing when you explore that. But we think things about ourselves that aren't true when we don't listen to him. And we tend to go in one of true extremes. <laughs> we think we're awesome when we're not. Or we think we have no worth when we do. But God tells us the truth about ourselves. And so it doesn't matter what anybody else tells you. It doesn't matter what you believe about yourself, what others have told you about yourself. Here are two things about you that are always true, according to Jesus. The first is, you're desperately needy. You're desperately needy. Now, as, as good, self-independent Americans, we don't like to necessarily admit that, but that's the truth. We're desperately needy. Jesus says, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, understand, he's not insulting them. He's not trying to make them feel bad about themselves. He's just telling them the truth. He's like a good doctor giving an accurate diagnosis of their condition. You know, if you go to the doctor and he takes tests and then you go to hear the results and he says, well, the tests indicate you need to know you have diabetes. He's not insulting you. He's trying to help you. He wants you to be able to do what you can do, what you need to do to be healthy. And so the point of these words is to help them realize you guys are not the self-sufficient gods you think you are. You know, you may think you don't need anybody, but that is not true. You need me. You need the forgiveness that I alone can give you because I alone went to the cross and obtained it for you. You need my leadership in your life. You are desperately needy for all the things I can give you. See, they, th they think, you know, they're all that in a bag of chips or something uh, because they've got money and they've got nice clothes and they've got designer glasses and all that. Uh, and he's saying, you're not. You're not. <laughs> I remember the 1970s. Yes, I am that old. <laughs> 1970s, there was a book. Maybe some of you, you remember it. I'm okay, you're okay. Anybody remember that? Very popular. People read and go, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. That was the message of the book. Hey, you're okay. You're just fine. Be okay with who you are because you're okay. Jesus didn't write that book. He says, without me, you're not okay. Without me, you're lost. Without me, you think things about yourself that aren't true. You're going to make a mess of your life, make a mess of eternity. Uh, you need me. So you're desperately needy. But that is not the whole story. 
The other thing that's always true about you is this. You're deeply loved. You are deeply loved. And that may be the harder of the two truths for many of us to believe. You're desperately needed, but you're deeply loved. Look what he says to them, verse 19. This is mind-blowing, really. Those whom I love. Isn't this just so gracious of Jesus? After he just told them this really hard truth, he follows up with, now the reason I'm telling you this is because I love you. And look who he's talking to. These gross, lukewarm, self-sufficient, living like they don't need Jesus, Laodiceans. And he, he loves them. He says, you know, your attitude is gross. kind of makes me sick. But I really love you. And if that's not mind-boggling enough, look at what he says in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with him. What grace! I mean, we're talking the Lord of heaven and earth here. And he's, he's, he's portraying himself knocking at the door of where the church is meeting. And he says, if anybody will open that door, I will come in. And I will meet with you. And I will eat with you. And this is a picture. This is a picture of intimate relationship. It means sharing life together, sharing friendship, sharing just this close relationship. Can you believe Jesus wanted that with these people? Can you believe that he wants that with you and with me? It's in spite of how messed up we are. So, you are desperately needy and you are deeply loved. Tim Keller talks about this, pastor of Redeemer Church in New York. He says, you're, <laughs> he basically says, we're worse than we think we are. We're more messed up. We're more sinful than we think we are. But we're also more loved than we think we are. We're more loved than we ever dared hope. Both of those things are true. The question is, do you believe Him? Do you believe Him? Because if you're going to live as if you really need Him, you have to believe it. You have to believe you're deeply, desperately needy and deeply, deeply loved. Then the other lesson, to live as if you really need Him, not only do you have to believe what He says about you, you have to receive. You have to receive everything He wants to give you. Receive everything you need from Him. So you, you admit, you, you believe that you are desperately needy and deeply loved, and then you receive from Him everything you need. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from Me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So He doesn't just give them an accurate diagnosis. You know, Sometimes people will do that. They'll tell you the truth about themselves, and then you say, well, okay, what can I do to make it better? And they're like, I don't know. That's not helpful. But Jesus gives them not just the diagnosis, but the cure, how to be healthy. And the cure basically is to receive everything you need from Him. 
Okay, so this is, this is really crucial. And here it is. A relationship with Jesus is always, always about receiving. It's never about performing. See, there's a false gospel out there. You could call it churchianity, where it's all about your performance. It's all about how well you perform. It's, it's you achieving. It's you attaining. It's you making yourself better and better so God will approve of you. That is not the gospel. That is not the message of the Bible. It's receive from Jesus what you could never attain. Receive. It's about receiving always, even when we're giving. I've told this story before, but I remember as a, as a little boy going to church with my grandmother, and then they came to the offering, and I hardly ever went to church. I had no idea what this meant, except here come these trays of plates, and you're supposed to put something in it. My grandmother hands me a quarter, says, here, put it, put it in. So I did. Felt really good about myself. Well, where'd that offering, you know, it I only gave because I received. And the fact is, that's still true. Even though my grandmother's not giving me money anymore. (laughs) You people are. And it's ultimately coming from God. See, whatever channels, whatever channels he uses, ultimately it comes from him. And don't miss, uh, well, actually, look at this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. There's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. God, the Trinity, the Father is described as the initiator, and the Son is described as the accomplisher, if that's a word. God always works through His Son. The Lord Jesus, he created this universe through him, and he redeemed, he accomplished redemption through him. And so those words in verse 18 are not throwaway when he says, I, I, I counsel you to buy from me, that is from Jesus, not from anybody else, not from yourself, not from your parents, not from your friends. Now, Jesus will use all kinds of channels but the thing we've got to remember is it's ultimately coming. God, what God's doing is coming through him, whatever channels he uses. So it's kind of like when the UPS man shows up at your door with a package. Maybe it's your birthday and he brings you a present. You don't ever say, oh, thank you. That's so nice of you. Way to remember my birthday. Thank you for this gift. No, you realize, okay, whoever sent it, the UPS man just brought it. The channel. And that's the same when, when Jesus channels everything we need. He channels it to us through whatever means he chooses. It's coming from him. And so, see, when you remember that, you live differently. Because when you remember that, that ultimately it's the Lord giving you what you need, then you remember to pray and ask him for what you need. And then you trust him to meet your needs. And then you thank him for meeting those needs. And that's living as if you need him. 
receiving. Receiving. Okay, I have needs. The Lord loves me. And so I'm going to ask him, and I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to thank him. That's what these people weren't doing, and that's what we need to do. So it's a receiving. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. This verse says to buy things from Jesus. So somehow that means we've got to pay for them, right? Well, actually, no. That's not what it means. This is the same kind of buying we see in Isaiah 55. Look at it. God says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. What? How do you buy with no money? Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So the buying... You know, basically God's saying, your money's no good here. He's saying, you need what I can give you, and if you'll listen to me and receive, then you'll have it. It's just a way of saying, come and get it. Don't try to pay for it, because it's already been paid for. You couldn't afford it anyway. You know, these things that Jesus provides, okay? So he talks about... He offers them gold refined by fire so you can become rich. Well, these people were already rich. No, they had a different kind of wealth. They had material wealth. They had you know, money in the bank. But earthly wealth is never ultimately truly satisfying. Uh, I've seen quote after quote from really rich people, and they always say the same thing. You know, if you ask them, how much is enough? They say, a little more. Only Jesus gives us the kind of wealth that satisfies us eternally. And then he says, he offers white garments to clothe yourself. And once again, these people had clothes, but their clothing just covered their bodies. That's good, but it's not good enough because that doesn't meet our deepest need. You know what we need covered? Our shame, our sin. What are you really ashamed of? If you were just to kind of think back over your life, what are, what's something that you know about yourself that is just so shameful you would just practically die if somebody found out about it? Jesus will cover it. He'll take that shame away, and then you don't have to be a prisoner of your past anymore. You don't have to hide from it when you give your shame to Jesus. And then he offers eye salve so you can see well, it's interesting. The town of Laodicea was famous for its ISAV. I guess you could go into a local drugstore and it'd be Laodicea ISAV. And it was famous. But see, even with the best possible eye care, we can only see how things appear. Jesus gives us a far deeper sight. He helps us perceive the true value of things, what really matters. So everything we need comes from Him. And it's not about earning. It's not about achieving. It's not about deserving. Think about it. What does He say? What does He tell them to do? He says, be zealous and repent. Okay? So you're going the wrong way. Turn around. That's repentance. And do what? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Just open the door. Open the door. Now, I know many of you have opened the door 
of your life to Jesus and you've received his forgiveness. But see, it's easy, isn't it, to sort of compartmentalize our lives? And yeah, okay, I've opened the door to Jesus on this part of my life, but maybe not this part. Maybe, not, maybe I haven't even thought about it. You know, I go to work and I just, I just go to work. I don't really connect work and Jesus. Or I go to school and, you know, schools, you know, that's not church. Jesus and school. Or your love life. Your marriage. Your parenting. Are there parts of your life that you have not opened the door to Jesus and you're basically living as if you don't need him in that area? Okay, Lord, yeah, you got this part. You got my sin. Okay, that's good. But this part I can handle. That's living as if you don't need him. And we, don't, we need to not do that. We need to see how he wants to come into every part of our life and live in relationship with us and receive everything we need from him. Let's, let's bow together and pray. I just want to give you a quiet minute. Maybe you're here today and, uh, and maybe this is new, and maybe you've not heard this. Uh, Jesus offers you life. He offers you everything that you need at the deepest part of who you are. He offers to cover your shame. He offers to give you, to build in your life the, the ability to see how things really are. He offers to give you eternal wealth. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And so if there's a part of your life or maybe all of your life and you haven't opened the door to him, he just says, be zealous, repent, turn around, open the door. I'm going to give you everyone, all of us, a quiet moment just to do business with Jesus right now. Lord, you are so great uh, and we are so forgetful and we are so inclined to be independent and do our own thing. And Lord, we, we need you. Thank you. Thank you for calling us every day to repent, to, to get off the path of self-directed living and to get on your path of abundant life where you are the center, where you are the guide, where you are directing. You are the truth. You are the way. You are the life. Lord, uh, may we each one yield to your life-giving presence. And we ask you to accomplish that for your glory and for our good in your holy name. Amen.